What's good, anybody out there? This is your friend, the Crimson Stain, and welcome to the Grave Wax Podcast. It's episode seven, and I'm getting a little freaked out because this is starting to feel like a real thing. I want to thank everybody who's been listening and sending me some feedback uh, on the show. There's been a bump in activity uh, among listeners, and I want to thank you for reaching out like that. And you can uh, contact me on Instagram at stain underscore crimson. And, uh, you know, praise only. Keep your complaints to yourself. And uh, thank you. Now, the film we've got today, we're going to jump right into it because there's a lot to unpack here. And uh, I decided to pick this film because one thing, we're all poisoned by hyper-reality at this point, especially after what's been going on just totally saturated by media and so what better film to dissect than this film made up of uh, found footage and uh, news clips and some recreated footage and sometimes uh, shall we say uh, the creative narration so you can look and see that there have been a few podcasts that have covered this movie before but it's usually not horror fan podcast it's usually like NPR bugman type podcasts that are covering it as like a sort of a cultural phenomenon. So we're going to have to cover it as, you know, as the real as the real people uh, whose opinions matter uh, will review it. And even with that said, I picked this movie before I rewatched it. And uh, so everyone knew I was going to do it. And then I'm watching it and taking notes. And I realize, oh, shit, look at all the crap in this movie that I'm going to have to talk about. This is going to be brutal. There are landmines everywhere. One wrong move and I'll have Antifa swinging bike locks at me. I just, I gotta be real uh, careful about this. But it's worth it because this is a great documentary. It's one of my favorite series. And, uh, oh, one other thing about this is that, yes, there are a lot of recreations in this film. However, one thing I've decided was that it's really cruel to puncture people's uh, bubble here. And a lot of people just swear that all everything in this movie is real. And uh, it's funny, when I would uh, have parties at my house and people would look through my movies to uh, look for something to review, uh, which, by the way, don't let people do that because they'll steal from you. But when uh, m- they would do that and um, they'd see a Faces of Death, they'd always want to watch that one. Everyone as a group would just unanimously go, oh, that's the one, we've got to see this. And they just have such a good time watching this for the most part. And, uh, yeah, and people's reactions is varied very widely. And uh, the people that believe it and think it's all true, it would be really cruel to burst their bubbles and tell them, uh, you know, this thing was done by an actor or whatever. So I'm not going to get into the minutia of um, what's a recreation and what isn't. And I'm just going to take everything at face value as if it's real. Face value, hey? Um, As if it's real. So... With that said, I guess we can just jump right into it. We're going to do 1980s Faces of Death. All right, so we're going to open with some glorious 70s stock footage of open heart surgery. Now, this is pretty gory and explicit, but of course it's not about death, it's about life. They're saving this man's life with his chest cracked open, there's a retractor pulling it apart, and then you can see his beating heart exposed to the elements. And this stuff, it used to make me queasier when I was younger, but, you know, I guess I'm just a real man now, and it doesn't really bother me at all. So we're watching this. We've got some eerie, ominous, minimalist music here, and we've got the heartbeat monitor doing its little beeping, and then all of a sudden you hear that the beep starts going a little erratic, and then suddenly it flatlines. Cue the title sequence. we got Faces of Death. That It's got a really cool logo, 
and the credits start rolling. Uh, they start intercutting with shots of the, of the morgue, shots of corpses. You've got one where there's like two bodies on one tray, which seems a little disrespectful to me, but I guess they're all just piling up over here. You get to see people cutting a Y incision into a chest for an autopsy. Uh, you know, we get to see like the, the insides of people as they're dissected. Uh, it turns out we're made of lasagna. Uh, I didn't know that. And then they they finish out with like a bone saw, uh, you know, sawing a skull cap off, and then they remove the brain, and then you can see the cavity uh, inside. It's just very fascinating stuff. It's like, you know, if if there is a god and he did create us, why was all this really necessary? Couldn't he have simplified it? You know, maybe there's something else going on here. I'm not going to make any final judgments at this point. But anyway, that's the credit sequence. And then we're going to cut into our uh, main narrator here. His name's Francis Gross. We're in the hallway of his uh, doctor's office. And so he comes out of the room. Presumably it was him doing all that cutting up of all the, uh, that mis- that meat there. So he comes out because he's he's got his, uh, his, his lab coat on and it's, it's bloody. It's very minimal blood. I think he would have more blood on it. So he walks down the hallway and he's talking to us. He takes off his gloves and just throws them in the hallway trash, which doesn't seem, seems like we've improved the protocol on that since then. He takes off his lab coat uh, with his little blood splatter on it and throws that in another trash can. And then he's going to go into uh, one of these examining rooms. Apparently they probably rented some doctor's office for like 50 bucks for a night or something. So he goes into, uh, you know, the examining room, and he's going to talk to us about the many faces of death. You'll also notice that he washes his hands for like two seconds after he's supposedly been uh, cutting up bodies. So that's, that's interesting. And he says to us, you know, unfortunately, medical science cannot always have success. The moment death occurs, my expertise is called on. He's been a pathologist for 20 years. You, you ought to see it, the way he's reading uh, his lines off the, uh, off the screen, and his glasses are, like, really askew. Um, and then he's going to take us to, you know, he's going to promises us the most exciting adventure of all time, uh, you know, exploring mortality, what it means to die, and what it looks like. He's going to pull back the curtain completely. And what better way to start with that than he's going to tell us about his dream. He has a recurring dream. As we all know, that's the most exciting thing anyone can tell us about. So we're going to cut to this like park with like a big fountain. And this is, of course, now we're in his mind. And uh, this, there's a funeral for a girl. There's a, a coffin kind of out of place in front of this fountain in this beautiful sunny day. And they're going to put the lid on her coffin. They're going to have a, people pick up and there's going to be a funeral procession to the, to the grave hole. I... I Words always fail me. Isn't that funny? But no, they put her at her open grave, okay? And there's a priest that's going to be reading, like, the eulogy. And, uh, wow, this priest is awesome. He's got these most awesome shades and, like, the coolest, like, walrus mustache. Uh, That's another thing about this series. All throughout these first uh, Faces of Death series, they look like they were all shot in the 70s. A lot of the footage is from the 70s. They, you know, collected... And so the one overwhelming theme is the mustache, which is the most Chad facial hair you can have. It says, hey, I want you to see my facial hair, but I don't want to interrupt my glorious jawline and chin. I'm a real man. Uh, You know, worship me. That's what the mustache is. So uh, for everyone out there who has different connotations of the mustache, I'm setting you straight. 
Stop getting tattoos and facial piercings. Get a mullet and a mustache. I'm telling you, that's the way to go. So luckily, Dr. Gross doesn't go go on with the details of this dream. And we kind of segue into this footage of uh, from uh, this small Mexican town where there's a cemetery. And he explains that actually there's a cemetery. You don't buy a plot. You rent it. You have to just rent the plot for your uh, your loved ones to be buried in, which is, seems a bit inefficient. But uh, that's how they're doing it, at least in his uh, explanation. We, know, we don't know if this man is a damn liar or what. He's just telling us such outrageous things that, you know, the world is weird and you got to just accept it or uh, check into it. And I chose not to check into it. But anyway, they do say if you can't pay your rent, they dig up the bodies. And I don't know where they put them. It seems like it would be more of a trouble than it's worth. But anyway, it pays off because there's apparently like these crypts where they have uh, these mummified corpses, you know, where they were buried in this very dry, uh, deserty, arid type landscape everything mummified and there's this photo montage of just the coolest mummies i've ever seen i'll have to post some on instagram but they did a really good job these are just so grotesque and twisted and it's just uh i don't know there's something about these uh, mummies that they're just really cool wonderful specimens and from there you're going to cut to some footage of like you know festivals there's some bullfighting and, uh, you know, this is where it gets, this is the first part where it gets really dicey because, you know, bullfighting, that's, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a controversial subject. Guess what's even more controversial? Dogfighting. And they're going to show like some dogfighting, which we're just, I guess we'll just skip over that since that's kind of a bummer. Uh, but that's one of the things about these, uh, found footage or faces of death type movies is that they always put in, you know, stuff like from slaughterhouses and things. And there's some stuff in here from that. Uh, I don't know exactly what to say about it because it goes on it's real it's not something you should really watch for entertainment purposes like you know getting some sort of statistic thrill out of it but then i don't know exactly who does that because most people who uh collect this type of footage are actually animal rights activist type people anyway so you know we're just kind of caught in the middle here what can you say the, the world is pretty cruel and to prove that point our next stop is going to be in the amazon where uh, dr gross says death becomes a mandate for survival good words to live by and so we got stock footage here of like nature footage of like spiders eating birds really big spiders uh there's a praying mantis you know getting his prey there's snakes you know there's just no room for weakness you know this is just darwinian survival at its finest and there's some shots of a piranha in the water and it ends up uh eating a snake there's a f fun little footage here of uh how they strip uh the flesh off of a snake uh, I guess it's kind of a setup thing for some nature show. And uh, next, there's going to be the Ivaro Indians. Now, these guys, uh, they're kind of, uh, I guess, what they would base those cannibal movies on. These just real uh, anarcho-primitivist, uh, you know, guys out in the woods, uh, in, the, in the rainforest. And they're, uh, they capture a monkey with a blow dart, which is, again, very uh, controversial. And then we see them at night. They're having like a little uh, festival of their own. And they're dancing around a severed head, like a shrunken severed head. Uh, interesting stuff. Uh, you know, what can you say? There's not a lot of narration to explain it. You're basically just being treated to uh, this uh, visual feast here. Likewise, the next clip is from Africa. They we're with the Maasai. And they show how they spear this cow and like collect its blood to drink. And uh, again, this is not 
most compelling podcast talk, but is there's one funny shot. This guy, he's just got this giant rib. He's just got like the entire rib cage basically, and he's just kind of chewing on it. It's, you know what? It's uh, you know, if there's no McDonald's, what are you gonna do? And just so you're, you know, don't let your uh, senses be so easily offended uh, by primitivism, because we're gonna go now to the farm. We're gonna transitioning to the Western world, and. The soundtrack, if you notice, it's playing Old MacDonald Had a Farm, a little orchestral version of that. And we're on this chicken farm. There's a woman in shades, like she's some sort of, uh, you know, disguising herself. She's, she uh, reaches into the uh, cage and gets a rooster. And if you don't like uh, this type of thing, uh, basically it shows you how uh, you behead a chicken. And then the chicken still uh, flips, uh, flips and flops around after uh, its head's been cut off. And, uh, you know, if you're a meat eater, I mean, this is what happens. In fact... It gets a lot worse because then it, it takes you to um, a slaughterhouse because as Dr. Gross says, you know, living within the womb of a technological society, you've got to have, uh, you know, a bigger system of for feeding everyone. And the slaughterhouse stuff, this is like the worst thing. They have the kosher slaughter. I don't know why koshering exists. This is just, it's like, why don't you take a, a bad thing and like, you know what, just for fun, let's make it 500 times worse. And uh, so that's a very gruesome way uh, they, they do this. They've been numerous documentaries about this type of thing that people always um, try to get, you know, lead to reforms and stuff like that. It's an interesting uh, dilemma because people do need meat. Uh, the plant sources for, you know, food, some of it isn't fit for human consumption. So it's deceptive, you know, saying we could just plant crops instead. It's a difficult, unsolvable problem. Uh, well, actually, I can think of one way to solve this problem, uh, maybe reducing the human population, but uh, let's not go there quite yet. But keep in mind, this segment is of slaughterhouse footage, and a lot of people I would I would just recommend just to fast-forward past this type of thing. Uh, and it ends, of course, from all that uh, misery and gore and cracking bones to, uh, you know, the last shot's just this nice dinner plate with a steak on it. Kind of uh, ties it all together. And from there, we're going to go on. Now, I think I might break my rule here uh, tell you that this part, this next part, it is mostly fake. This didn't happen just because the victim is not a human but a monkey, and uh, the monkey wasn't killed in this scene. Although, if you look at him, he was definitely not treated too well. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I guess I'm just a more of a softy for animals than uh, people, which, of course, that's the most cliche, basic thing to say. Everyone says this. And uh, it's true... I'm not denying it, but I'm not acting like I'm some sort of, you know, uh, rugged individual with a really cool opinion. I know everyone feels this way. But with that said, we're in the Al Aram restaurant. This is some sort of Middle Eastern diner, apparently, with a belly dancer. Although, the, if you'll look at the, um, the waiters and the maitre d', they are not uh, particularly swarthy. Uh, I believe they were the monkey trainers. Um, anyway, there's this group of four people, and they're sitting down at their table. And they're going to bring a monkey uh, to eat his brains, you know, just to, uh, you know, reveal the plot there. They bring out this poor monkey and they take him and they put him in. There's like a hole in the center of the table and they put him in and all his heads sticking out of it. And then they have these fake mallets that the the actors use to uh, pretend they're beating in this monkey's head. And uh, there's uh, they can't even look at look at what they're doing. And then they swap out that with a fake uh, monkey head, and then they pretend they're cracking it open and getting the brains out, which 
uh, is not a very big portion for four people, especially. And they're not doing it as a delicacy so much as they, it's said that this will give you a mystical, uh, you know, connection with God. And, uh, you know, just not to tip my fedora too much as like, what kind of God would require such a thing uh, to get close to him? And I guess my overwhelming question is, like, where do they come up with the story? Is this based in any way on some sort of actual thing that someone did sometime? Or is this just some sort of crazy make em up that uh, would be great for faces of death? I have no idea. Uh, no one's ever, ever talked about this. Uh, so we're going to move on to probably... <laughs> Jesus, I'm looking at my notes. Why, why did I pick this movie? This is the worst one. This is uh, Ceiling. Now, apparently, there's a little montage footing... Uh, footing, uh, footage of guys with a gun out in, out in boats and they're shooting at uh, seals with their guns into the water. They shoot at a shark, just like Brian from Zombie 2, so I guess he's been vindicated. Uh, I guess he was doing the right thing after all because people were apparently really doing that. But now they're going to go off to Alaska where they're, supposedly seals are overpopulated, so uh, they kill them to keep the numbers. And they, this is this is definitely one of the parts to just fast forward through, because there are just so many seals that they get rid of. Uh, this, if you really want the saddest documentary, even sadder than this one, you have to see Sea of Slaughter, which is based on a Farley Mowat uh, book. It's just the murder of the planet. It's crazy. So there's not a whole lot of joking I can do here. So we'll just move on to the the gator part. Uh, this one, there's some more poaching of like alligators. And Dr. Gross says that rept this reptile faces extinction. I don't know if that's even true, but it uh, wouldn't surprise me. But then we're going to transition to this other scene where um, there's basically a gator loose in a, some sort of Florida community. And we're, we've got the Channel 9 news out, action news out there. You've got to see this reporter. He is Mr. 70s. And he actually has kind of low energy, actually. Uh, and he's interviewing these two women who spotted this gator. And right behind him is a lake. And from the from there, uh, these two cops in a little boat, outboard motorboat, uh, drive up. And they ask uh, very woodenly where the gator is. And he's like, they're like, it's over there. It's about 15 feet long. And they're like, thank you. It's very wooden. And then they go over to uh, try to rope this gator. And what happens? Uh, he falls right in. It's, it's very slapstick uh, until it turns tragic. And there's all these different cuts of uh, thrashing in the water. It all goes... It's very uh, frenetically edited, and you don't really get to see a whole lot. But basically, uh, this guy, he, he tried to get rid of the gator, but the gator got rid of him. They got the whole town watching this. There's like a kid watching it. And in the end, all they can do is get one of their little flower blankets and put it over the uh, dead body there. And I guess that, that gator, uh, score one for the gators. Now, we're going to transition pretty briskly to assassins now there's like a little photo montage of our famous uh, assassins you know you got your john wilkes books john wilkes booth and others and um now this is going to be a uh, supposedly from 1968 in uh, la salle france quite a quite a turbulent time in france i believe 1968 was and uh, jean francais it's a very good french name uh, it was this he looks like a like a staggering drunk beardy guy uh, he gets up to give a speech or something. I don't know if he was like some sort of a commie or what. But someone shoots him and he, and he falls over right on the podium. The gunshot did seem a little bit dubbed, but we're not going to even be able to examine that because we're going to cut to this desert 
where a Cadillac is like driving over like the sand and it pulls up. It's a two-door Cadillac, but it's a chauffeur-driven thing and they're trying to let out the guest of honor out of the back seat. And it's a little bit awkward for him to get out. He's also wearing a balaclava and uh, he's, he's basically an assassin and a hired hitman and he's going to give us a little insight into what he does. Uh, let's see, his name is Francois Jordan. So, I, well, I don't know what the deal with France and uh, assassins is, but apparently that was a, a big thing in the, in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. And he demonstrates, uh, he, he has his rifle and his pistol, and he's like shooting some targets and some watermelons and mannequins and things. And then there's an interview, uh, which I don't remember anything he said from the interview, but all I remember is that right behind him there's a giant white plaster horse it seems like a just a fun place to be interviewed by and so you know i guess uh, assassins it's it was a thing it was a bigger thing back then and from the paid assassin to the amateur assassin we're going to turn now this is the story of mike lawrence apparently on july 10th 1973 mike lawrence was at his home when he decided to kill his family and uh barricade himself in against the police and were joined in progress of the police are just swarming surrounding this house, this small suburban house, and uh, there's they're returning fire, they're taking fire. The cameraman's getting a lot of good coverage. In fact, you can see Mike Lawrence through the window very well. Um, these these uh, SWAT team members must have been the worst shots ever because uh, Mike was just extremely exposed, and the cops are just not extremely uh, well trained. I would think. At one point, there's, they're in the yard. The guy's crawling on his back, looking upside down, trying to move forward. That cannot be a very, uh, you know, efficient way of doing business. But it doesn't matter because they're just going to throw in some tear gas. That causes Mike to run out, and he just gets filled full of lead. He kind of does a little dancing uh, around as, as he's filled with lead and drops to the ground, bleeding on the ground. Uh, the cops in the, in the tactical unit, they're going to, just skip right over that body and run into the house to see what mayhem he's caused and you know there's a lot of choking and a lot of gas still in the room in the house and they get to the kitchen and there's like three dead bodies of his family with their throats slit and uh, the the hardened SWAT team members who've probably seen a lot and they're in their gas masks and all they can do is uh turn away and and shoo the cameraman out and you know it's just it's a great shock and a great tragedy and uh, Francis Gross, he decides to uh, sum it all up with, perhaps there is a Mike Lawrence in each one of us. Perhaps there is Dr. Gross. Not me, of course. But anyway, uh, moving on, next scene. We're going to be in the L.A. coroner's office. This is a very famous guy named uh, Thomas Noguchi. He was the uh, L.A. coroner for many a year. You can find his books in the true crime section. He knows what he's talking about, being the coroner of uh, all of L.A. He did all kinds of... Uh, all kinds of famous cases and now he's being interviewed for us and we're going to take a tour around his uh you know his uh corners office and just even in the hallway the corpses are just lined up on these uh trays and and stuff and they say there's up to like 40 cases a day so the bodies are just piling up we get to see uh, like gang war victims there there shows them the shows them getting x-ray scans to find uh bullets lodged in them there's a it looks like a burn victim. They're dissecting bodies. Uh, there's a there's the, all the opening shots of the dissections are replayed here again. Uh, you get to see the the brain being uh, removed again, and then uh, Gross decides to 
start uh, reciting a poem, which is like, okay, now we've we've heard, we've had to listen to your dream. Now we're listening to your poetry. All right, Doctor Gross, you're you're really you're treading a thin line here. I know you're showing us some cool stuff, but you know, let's uh, let's keep on task. As we look at like the hundred or so bodies that are in this place. The two that really stood out to me, there was one that it was so stiff, it was kind of like sitting up almost at like, you know, just a slight angle, and that was kind of disturbing to me. And another weird thing was there was a, a body that had false teeth taped to its leg. So I guess if your teeth, if you have false teeth and you don't want them to be, get lost or whatever, fly out, fly out your damn mouth, because uh, you, you died with your mouth agape or something, they'll just tape your, uh, your uh, dentures to you. I, I never knew that. But uh, proof, proof's right there, and faces of death. And uh, so that was that. Um, next scene is the electric chair, the execution. Now, I'm, I'm in favor of the death penalty. I'm in favor of public executions. I'm in favor of all of that stuff. Uh, so this is the case of Larry Da Silva. Not Albert Da Silva, but Larry Da Silva, who in 1974 raped and killed an 84-year-old woman. And now he's going to face justice. We get to see him in his cell. He's kind of pacing around, smoking a cigarette. And, uh, you know, when they come to get him, he's still, he almost, it's like he almost started that cigarette. It's very, very long still when he just has to throw it away and he just comes along very peaceably. A little, uh, a little introspective maybe, but he follows orders and just heads on down the, that, uh, long mile. And Dr. Gross is giving us a voiceover. He's saying what, uh, this guy had said, he had said that uh, all I wanted was her goddamn wallet, and the bitch gave me a hard time, and that was that was his quote on uh, what he'd done. And the by the way, the soundtrack is like this jazzy music. I don't know if it was all that well synced up to the emotional weight of the scene, but there you have it. Uh, and then Gross, you know, I was already suspect of him after reading the poem and telling us a dream. Then he's gonna tell us he's against the death penalty. So I don't know, Doctor Gross, you're. you're you're a mixed bag for me. You're you're kind of my hero still, but you know I didn't remember I didn't remember all these uh, facets and nuance to uh, your shitty opinions. But let's not fight. Let's just enjoy this uh, as this criminal is is taken out of existence. So what they do is they put him in the chair. They put this tape over his eyes, and uh, then they put on, on the you know the little the little cap, and they start shocking him. And there's like this buzzing sound, and he starts foaming at the mouth, and they stop him, and then they give him another jolt, and then the blood starts coming from from his eyes. And by the way, just I know I happen to know this little factoid, is that you always have to shock a guy twice, at least twice. Sometimes they do it more. There's been all kinds of like bungled electric electrocutions. You know, people's heads catch on fire, the chair breaks apart. You know, the guy only gets half dead, and he's screaming on the ground. And they got to figure out what to do. Um, but the cleanest way to execute someone through electrocution is you shock them. To, and you, your goal is to stop the heart. But what happens is your adrenal gland pumps you full of adrenaline, and then that starts your heart up again. So then you have to shock them twice. Now your adrenal gland is all out of uh, adrenaline, so it can't restart your heart again. And that's why you die on the second one for good. All right, so even though that guy's dead, we've got one more cool execution for you. This one's going to be taking taking place out in the desert among a nomadic clan. And this was apparently film taken by a Canadian tourist, just happened through the desert, 
they saw this nomadic clan and they were like, hey, sure, why don't you go ahead and film us executing this guy? What does it matter? They get a lot of coverage too, lots of different cuts and things of this. Uh, and so they're going to take this guy, whatever, he, they don't say what he did wrong, but he's out of there. They're going to put him on the tree stump, just like the chicken earlier, and they behead him with like a scimitar. Uh, this, uh, there was a similar sort of thing in Four Flies on Grey Velvet. If you've ever seen that Dario Argento movie, that was another cool uh, Middle Eastern execution they did there. Uh, and then uh, Dr. Gross says, um, you know, this is, a, this is a deterrent to crime, sure, but is it justified? I would say yes, one, but uh, more, more importantly, I think Dr. Gross might be advocating such a soft position on criminals because he may, in fact, be one himself. He may be an accessory to murder, as we're going to find out in this next clip, which is of a San Francisco immortality cult, you know, those famous immortality cults. And apparently he requisitioned this film and they killed a guy. There was these there these dirty hippies. They're in this dirty back room filled with like candles and I'm sure patchouli and other gross hippie stuff. And uh, they've got this pentagram on the floor, and in the center of the pentagram is a prone lying body. Uh, I'm not sure if he's already dead or what, but we've got the uh, cult leader. You can imagine just what this guy looks like in his purple robe, and he's saying that he's got a gift that's gonna let us outlive and outlove every other human being on earth and he's passing out pills to all his uh, hippie friends and then he gets everybody to crowd around the body and he's uh, doing very normal things he's saying this is ours touch it touch it and then he ends up cutting open the chest and pulling out some organs and passing those organs around and it, it and as dr gross says the gruesome ceremony culminated in an orgy in my point of view they were dangerous uh, you might say that you might say that dr gross and uh, you might also say uh, you should have turned this footage over to the authorities or perhaps uh, sooner, uh, alerted them to the sooner if you knew this was going to happen. Uh, it's suspicious, but uh, on the other hand, I really can't stay mad at Dr. Gross for that long. Uh, Dr. Gross explains to us that what cults offer to everybody, apparently besides immortality, is that a cult has to give you identity, discipline, knowledge, and power. So remember that list for when we start our cult. This is going to be the things we're going to be looking for. And uh, the, the one other thing I'll say about the immortality part of this cult is that if the organs are supposed to give you immortality, well, they didn't give the original owner immortality, so you might want to rethink that. That's me just getting my little dig in at the immortality cult for you. Now this next scene, this has got to be my favorite footage of all time. This is of the snake handlers. This is supposedly the holiness branch of the Church of God, and this is from either like Tennessee or Kentucky. Um, this, you can tell this is like some older footage that they acquired some way, but it's just the most cool, compelling footage. These are like the coolest looking like 60s, 70s people you've ever seen. They're, they're just like the folk that uh, Jennifer come from in that movie Jennifer that, that's uh, like Carrie kind of. She was a snake handler with uh, awesome abilities. We'll, we'll probably do that movie at some point, too. That's a good one. But uh, these snake handlers, they get footage of, man, they're just they're going crazy. They're having this, like, religious ecstasy. Um, there's, like, all these uh, serpents they're passing out. They're dancing with the serpents. There's one guy. He's, like, leaning over this flame, this, like, big fire, and uh, not, not worrying about being burned. And Dr. Gross says that later that evening... Uh, someone died of a snake bite, but it's not on camera. So, you know, that's just one of these little underwhelming things about uh, the Faces of Death series. <laughs> Sometimes if they can't fake it, you know, they, just, they have nothing to, to show you. So it's it's funny. But 
it doesn't even matter because that's like an awesome scene. Uh, the next scene, the next scene is just a couple minutes long. It's of a jumper. She was hanging out on a building for a while, and the film crew showed up, and then she jumped. That's only like a couple minutes long. Uh, it says in 1978 there were 35,000 suicides, which I would assume has only gone up. And the next chapter after that is about cryonics, about freezing herself so you can come back later. Kind of like what they say Walt Disney did, but I'm, I'm sure that's just a meme. I doubt that actually happened. Uh, and apparently the company they were able to uh, get footage from was a place called Trans Time Incorporated. And apparently they freeze you at negative uh, 320 degrees. Uh, that's not my favorite segment. Uh, the next is... Oh, okay. This next segment is very interesting backstory. It's of a drowned swimmer that sw uh, washes up on the beach. And this was a, definitely a real f footage here. And it was f footage shot by the Faces of Death film crew. They're apparently doing some uh, some sort of B-roll on the beach. At the, end of the, at the end of the movie, during the credits, there's a lady walking on the beach, so this may be what they were out there to film. But apparently they just had a, a body wash up right next to him. I mean, what kind of luck is that? You have to almost put it not even as luck, but as, you know, the law of attraction or something. Like, this, that's crazy. But apparently this was a swimmer, uh, a night surfer or something, and he was drunk, they say. You don't know these, these stories are actually true, but that's what they're telling us. And he was drunk and he washed up on shore. And Dr. Gross says that it was it was an accident uh, made from sheer stupidity, which is kind of rude to do. I mean, uh, you know, the guy helped you out and his body washed up and on uh, your film crew. He couldn't have been more obliging to you. And then you just kind of call him an idiot for drowning. It's, it's a little bit of bad manners, but, you know, who's to say? I can't, I can't be mad at Dr. Gross. But since that is a real bloated corpse that had drowned, it is a very disturbing-looking guy. Uh, the next one is a cave. Apparently there were some people mountain climbing, and a guy fell 90 feet from a cliff into a cave. That's, that's pretty bad luck, I'd say. Uh, so the, there's people repelling down, and then they, called the, 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 they said that the dead body was a boy, but when you get down there, another mustache, another guy with a mustache. So uh, apparently mustaches can't save you from everything. And I'll tell you another thing they can't save you from, bears. Uh, this one is really cool. Uh, the, there's a bear, like a giant grizzly bear, and Dr. Gross is saying, though they may seem docile and tame, it's like, no, a giant bear does not look docile and tame. Uh, but anyway, there's basically this little park or, you know, whatever, and there's two cars parked in, like, this little picnic area, and in the middle, in between, is a bear, so we got both cars filming footage, so we got the coverage there. And everything, everyone's just having a great old time, throwing some bread out to the bear. And then uh, this guy, he gets a real good idea. He's going to get out of his car with his camera and try to get some real close-up shots at this bear. And so his wife's throwing out the bread, and then she runs out of bread. And then all of a sudden, well, guess, guess who's the new, new loaf of bread? They attack the guy. The, of course, the camera is all shaky. We don't get the best film footage of this. But uh, as, as Dr. Gross would say, um, you know, the, the incident occurred through total ignorance. It seems to prove a point that we're not as intelligent as we think, which, you know, I, I don't think you can put that on all of us collectively, although there are a lot of uh, parallels, stupid parallels that people uh, fall into traps there. Now, from there on, we're going to get another long stretch of like, uh, okay, so we got some stock footage of volcanoes erupting, we've got tornadoes, lightning storms, places where hundreds of people were killed in these incidents, 
There's one where a fire from a burst gas line set building on fire and people are jumping out to avoid the flames, terrible stuff. And then there's a cut to uh, talk about pollution, pollution, a more subtler killer. But uh, Dr. Gross wants to get in these environmental talking points. And we've got litter on the beach. We've got trash dumps and landfills. We, unfortunately, we're having to listen to folk music the whole time while this is happening, worst of all. There's, you know, just highway pollution, industrial waste, and uh, nuclear power plants. And there's one scene, there's no, I don't think anyone was going to think this one's real, but there was a nuclear protest, and all of a sudden, this dude is by the gate, and he just sets himself on fire, which, it's always fun to see a stuntman set himself on fire, uh, that's pretty cool, but uh, what, I mean, no one even tries to explain how any of this makes sense, that's what's cool about it. Uh, and then, we're going to get more footage, now this is like the typical war footage uh, they always show, and these things. Uh, at one point, Dr. Gross, uh, exposing that he's either compromised or just willingly blue-pilled, saying, when Pearl Harbor was bombed, the U.S. chose to enter the war, as if FDR didn't know. Uh, so we'll just move on from that. Now we're coming to the disease section, which, first they're going to show you the most adorable pictures of these vampire bats drinking blood out of a saucer. And then you're like, oh, how, how heartwarming. I'm glad we're past all that animal torture footage. Wrong. Uh, fast forward again, because this one's about um, dogs being uh, uh, operated on for cancer research. I mean, I guess they're getting results, but, uh, you know, that's not the most uh, compelling thing. Let's, just, let's go back to the, the uh, people. So we're going to go to a, a parachute. Now, when you're at an air show and one of these things, you know you're in for a bad time. Basically, there's a guy who uh, is parachuting, and he's just spinning around because the parachute's all tangled up, and he just falls to his death at about, apparently from about 2,000 feet. Uh, the, Dr. Gross is saying that the medical examiner had said, oh, it was a painless death because he died of a heart attack in the air. But then Mr. Sunshine, Dr. Gross, he's like, I, I wouldn't be so quick to say that. I looked like he was alive the whole way down. I mean, I'm sure he was in complete terror. I mean, this is a horrible way to die. And he just shits all over anyone trying to uh, take some solace out of that. So, uh, Dr. Gross, I, I admire your cruelty in that, in at least that segment. Uh, he also has, he kind of has like a, a fatalistic outlook. He says, it doesn't matter if I'm, uh, you know, making toast or jumping out of an airplane. If it's my time to go, it's my time to go. And, you know, I sometimes have fatalistic thoughts like that myself. But then when I actually examine that statement, it actually, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. But there's no time to reflect on that too much because now we're into the car stunt segment. This is on the set, supposedly, of an action movie called Hell Raising. Although if you look at the clapboard, uh, it says Hell Raisin. So I don't know if this was some sort of, uh, you know, uh, fruit-based action movie. I'm, that's a terrible joke. Uh, let's move on. The point being that uh, there's a guy, he's driving his car, he's going to try to jump over a, a river. But the stunt goes wrong and he crashes. And, worst, and he dies, but worst of all, uh, a beautiful Lincoln Continental is destroyed. A beautiful car uh, taken away too soon. Uh, so that's, that's that. There's also a little uh, segment on a train wreck. There was a, apparently a, a train engine exploded and caused a derailment of a passenger train. There's like a lot of body parts crushed and all this rubble. We get a few, then we get a few shots of like a car wrecks and the photo montage of that. There's a bike hit, hit by a semi-truck, and there's, like, some plane crashes. One's, like, a little plane that apparently this guy had uh, a new license, and he was trying to pull these stunts, and he ripped off the wing. So, 
don't I guess don't do that is the lesson there and now we're gonna get to probably one of the worst uh, domestic accidents that's ever happened in America this happened in San Diego this was the f crash of flight PSA 182 now what happened here was there is this big 727 plane trying to land in San Diego Airport which apparently is a real bitch to land in in the first place but uh, there was also the, like this light plane like the Cessna flying and the, basically the Cessna was in between in the flight path the landing flight path of this plane it was right under the under the big the jet and what's really gruesome is apparently the uh, pilots had seen this plane before and as they were about to make their you know adjustments to land they're like hey I don't see that plane hope we don't hit it and sure enough they, they damn well did and so obviously that Cessna plane drops out of the sky and kills them and then the plane uh, breaks up the jet breaks up over uh, a neighborhood so there the plane crashed over a neighborhood and so there was like flaming wreckage all over a neighborhood bodies were like crashing onto roofs through windows gore was all over the street there's a, a lot of footage of just wreckage gore everything just one of the most terrible things and it looked like it was 149 were listed dead and that was in september of uh what was that in the late 70s it looks like and then when you're right at your lowest point with all that uh, tragic of mechanized death we're going to get a little bit of hope because now this is the segment on the afterlife we're going to close it up with this one now this is the story of Joseph Bender, who had like this haunted house. Now, he'd also lost his family. And so Dr. Gross commissioned some ghost hunters and a medium to help him out with what's going on. So he's in this seance with this, uh, this medium lady. And yes, I do believe she was a genuine medium. I mean, she definitely wasn't a large or a petite. That's my joke. Now, she's, she's basically going to go through the motions here. Uh, she's got like this quivering lip. She's got like shakes. And she's kind of acting like uh, spirits are entering her body. And for effect, they show uh, this, like, drawn-on, like, cartoony halo around her. And, like, red, one's red and, like, one's green. So we know that the spirits are, are present. And she starts speaking to this poor, distraught man. Uh, through the wi First, his wife, Diane, appears to speak to him. And so he's getting, like, uh, you know, obviously this has got to be the, one of the most emotional things you can have. Uh, as well as one of the most uncanny, and he's having to deal with this. And so the wife speaks, and then apparently he also had a, uh, a son, a, a young guy, uh, Mark, his son. <clears throat> and so the medium says, Daddy, I'm scared. I don't know where I am. You know, it's like, what a bitch. How are you going to do that to someone? You're not supposed to be that way. But uh, hopefully this is another one of these uh, recreations that didn't actually happen. But uh, regardless of this, uh, you know, Dr. Gross totally dismisses the point that when you die, you're lost and scared because he's just like, well, this this certainly gave me gave me hope and life after death. And he's like kind of look in his office. All of a sudden he's pulled out all these uh, spirit photographs of alleged spirits caught on film, which, you know, if you have these in your doctor's office, you got to wonder how close you, you are to being disbarred. I guess you might as well just go ahead and film these uh, Traces of Death documentaries if you're going to be like that. But uh, basically, that's uh, that's where we're at. That's how it ends. Dr. Gross has his, like, you know, little summing up of, you know, uh, life and death and rebirth. And we get to see a woman give birth. It's done very... It's, it's obviously not done very uh, well. It's just a woman. They have a close-up on her face. 
and they're like dubbing crying baby sounds. You don't even see the baby. Uh, she's giving birth. And then as the credits roll, she's walking through a forest. She's uh, in a pool with a baby. She's walking on the beach with the baby. You know, life's going to go on. And you can just think about how uh, these people are going to meet their untimely face of death themselves. So that's the first Faces of Death movie. Um, Dr. Gross would go on to do a couple more of these. And then for Faces of Death Part 4, he was replaced by Dr. Flellis. And uh, yeah, he did pass away. So I can only imagine how proud he'd be to see how we all now have cameras on us 24 hours a day. We're all looking for like some sort of crazy, exciting or violent, bloody footage so we can get some clout off of it, try to get famous and go viral. And uh, I'm sure you'd just be amazed at how influential he was in the grand scheme of things and also just how few of his life lessons uh, we actually took, took to heart. So, you know, such, such is the fate of mankind. Uh, until then, I've decided next episode we're going to be doing H.G. Uh, Lewis's Blood Feast. I had a good Instagram friend who suggested an H.G. Lewis movie, so I think we'll do uh, Blood Feast for, for, uh, for all our amusement. It'll be, a lot of, it'll be a lot of fun. So be sure in the coming weeks to uh, not meet your own personal face of death so you can remain breathing and alive and come back. And uh, we'll, we'll do it all over again here on the Grave Wax Podcast. <laughs>